0: This morning, I want to remind us to be in prayer this week for school teachers and students. I think this is the week, isn't it? Yeah, my my daughter isn't going to lift up her head. She's like, "Yes, it is, Dad. It is." Anyways, um, but you know, let's continue to be in prayer, especially in this in this season, um, for God's grace. Uh, I don't want to take for granted uh, his care and protection, and we just I want to encourage you to, to be in prayer over schools around our region as they open up this uh, coming week. Two weeks from now, I believe, I've got the date two weeks, we're going to be having an ordination service for Jack Morris, and so we really want to encourage you to mark that date and to come and be a part of this. It's going to be, uh, I think, a significant day and one that we'll be able to share a little bit of Jack's story and become which is part of our story as well. So uh, I encourage you to just remember that that's coming down the pike. All right, if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it up our the lectionary text this morning is from the book of Matthew chapter 14 chapter 14 uh, chapter 14 verses 13 to 21. I'm going to be reading this out of the Passion translation, it will read a little bit different than most translations you might have with you. But it—it's still—I I really enjoy being able to pick up a new translation because it helps uh, bring some new freshness to uh, the words that we're reading. Sometimes that are familiar. John the Baptist has just been beheaded in prison. On verse verse 13 is where we're going to pick up in Matthew 14. On hearing this, Jesus slipped away privately by boat to be alone. But when the crowds discovered he had sailed away, they emerged from all the nearby towns and followed him on foot. So when Jesus landed, he and a huge crowd waiting for him, seeing so many people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion toward them. So he healed all the sick who were in the crowd. Later that afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus and said, it's going to get dark soon, and the people are hungry, but there's nothing to eat here in this desolate place. You should send the crowds away to the nearby villages to buy themselves some food. They don't have to leave, Jesus responded. You can give them something to eat. They answered, but all we have is five barley loaves and two fish. Let me have them, Jesus replied. Then he had everyone sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up into heaven. He gave thanks to God, and he broke the bread into pieces. He then gave it to his disciples, who in turn gave it to the crowds, and everyone ate, and they were satisfied. That word should show up in most of your translations. For the food was multiplied in front of their eyes. They picked up the leftovers and filled up 12 basketfuls. There were 5,000 men who were fed in addition to many women and children. Lord, we ask you that you would grant us grace to hear and receive your word and that you would speak Holy Spirit to us. And, Lord, I just ask for your grace and your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Titled the message this morning when compassion meets empty, and I, if I were to continue that title, I'd say and it encounters enough. April the twenty first, uh, nineteen eighty six, pre internet, no streaming services. There was a live broadcast that came from the old Lexington Hotel in Chicago. 30 million people watched it. Um, It was hosted by a man who had just lost his job a couple of years earlier, interestingly, for defending a co-worker who had posted a criticism against the way that people had treated or were speaking about Marilyn Monroe and her possible relationships with those in power. And so this man uh, was, had taken the job to host this two-hour br- broadcast, and he was hoping that it would be an opportunity for him to regain a national platform as a journalist. Some of you might remember this moment uh, in the old Lexington Hotel. Now, why were they there? Well, because there was a lot of folklore that had surrounded that building. That by this point wasn't really in use, but in the basement of that building, they had discovered a walled off room. The Lexington Hotel on Michigan Avenue in Chicago was the last headquarters of Al Capone. And so Geraldo Rivera hosted a two hour show in which, well, they titled it Opening Al Capone's Vault. And so here they had gone, and and man, this thing got all kinds of media attention running up to it. What were they gonna find in the vault? This sealed off room in the basement of the old Lexington Hotel. Were they gonna find cars, booze, prohibition liquor, guns? Interestingly, When they opened the vault, they even had a forensic team on hand because they weren't sure that they were also going to find bodies. And the first hour of the special is this long build-up all about Al Capone, all about why they knew that he was there and why they thought there was something that might be in there. And then came the moment at the beginning of hour number two when they were going to blow open the vault, And they blew it open, live. Then they came back after a commercial break to find nothing. But I think like two empty bottles, something like that. I mean, it was, (laughs) and so you can go on the internet today, you can find loads of articles that read something like this, that time that Geraldo found an empty vault. Now, I can only imagine what it must have been like for Geraldo, this journalist who's trying to find a platform again nationally, and they blow open the vault. He's on live national television, millions of people watching him, and he walks into an empty room, and now he knows he's got to fill another hour with what? I mean, can you imagine what was going on in his brain? I mean, like, Oh my word this is supposed to be the comeback of my career and I'm 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 left with what was the headline nothing here Jesus and his disciples have just left to try to find a place of solace have crowds pressing in around them and They finally reached a point where they said, you know, Jesus, you need to send these folks home so they can at least get something to eat. And they had a deep awareness that the need that they were facing was far more than what they actually had. And in the New American Standard Translation, verse 17, Jesus says in 16, they don't need to go. Give them something to eat. And verse 17, they said to him, we have nothing here. except five loaves and two fish. Nothing here has a familiar ring to it. I, I'm, I, I'm thinking more about how most of us have these moments in our life that leave us deeply aware that we really don't have anything. I, I was, as I was writing this, I was thinking about, you know, okay, unimaginable moments, things that you didn't have an imagination in your mind for, and it comes knocking at your door. For me, one of those moments, when my fourth out of five sons was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, it was gutting for me. Because of anything I wanted to give to my children, it wasn't what almost took my life. I, and, and I wanted to do something. I wanted to say something to make it better. And, and it felt like all that I had was nothing compared to Crohn's, ulcerated colitis, esophagitis, primary sclerosing cholangitis. Don't ask me why I know how to name them because my kids have them all. I felt like I had nothing. And, and there's countless moments like that. I don't. I know I'm not the only person, but we're, we're personally, or maybe even corporately, that we feel that. I was on a Zoom call this last week with my siblings, and my sister's on the phone, and she's in a. Obviously, her heart's you know been torn open. Her very best friend is dying of cancer, stage four cancer, was taking chemo, uh, and finds out that the chemo is actually killing her heart. She had a heart attack earlier in the day. They were able to bring her back, and we had. I mean, for us, all of our siblings, as we're sitting there trying to respond to our sister, you see, part of what goes on for us is that reminder of what we went through with our mom and then later with our dad, and we just, there wasn't a lot we could say. When we feel powerless, when hopelessness comes knocking, when we feel like more is being asked of us than what we can produce, we don't know what to say, when when exhaustion, sadness, loneliness, let's get away from this. You feed them. Jesus, we have nothing. See, it isn't just that I don't think I have enough, but I begin to believe that I am not enough. Empty. I mean I can only imagine Geraldo looking around, surely in a corner somewhere we can find something. What do you do when you've got nothing? You know, oddly A lot of what I want to say is the religious uh, interpretation of life is often how we interpret life from a position. Even our relationship with God is always like from this position of, of lack. Religion has taught us that's how we relate to God. Because we don't have enough, we look to him. Now, there's something that sounds right about that. We have a need that can't possibly be met. God can fill it. But here's what happens to us in a religious sort of posture is that we begin to interpret this thing as some kind of a transaction in which we we think if we do our part, then God will do his. So our minds and our heads and our heart begin to be filled up with these if and when. If I do this or when this happens, then God will be pleased enough to get closer. Now, see, there's something right about the fact that under, recognizing I have emptiness and God is abundance, but where we get messed up is believing we got to talk Him into getting closer. Interestingly, that's a very pagan view. The Greeks thought that way. Remember that? In Jesus' day, you appease the gods and you'll be blessed with abundance or you'll be spared impending doom. But there's no way he's in that empty. Yet in the gospel, God reveals something about God, a God who is present and his presence is not dependent on whether or not my life is fuller empty. It's called the measurelessness of God, the measureless love of God. So while we had nothing and did nothing in compassion, God came to remove distance. Before I even knew about my emptiness, God came to remove distance and invite us to know him. That's the gospel. I'm not making that one up. Our nothing, listen to this, is nothing to his compassion. That's actually worth remembering. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? It's lavish, and it's abundant, and it's based upon his compassionate love. And and beloved, it's the love of God revealed in Christ that is the heart of the gospel. Empty, listen to me, is not a hindrance to what is present in the heart of God. Compassion. It was there before time began, it's there now. It remains there. Compassion that reveals the satisfaction of His love. Is enough. So, see, here's what happens when compassion meets empty. Compassion reveals that the love of God is enough. Our empty has nothing on the measureless, compassionate love of God. And that is good news. You know, our text starts off with that word that just jumped out at me, you know? we've got nothing here empty five loaves, two fish. Jesus friends, convinced of their emptiness, encounter the compassion of the father that that the even, you know, they're convinced there's nothing that can become of that. And yet they come to this place where they they are had this encounter where they encounter the compassionate love of the Father, and they recognize it's enough. Again, the text, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. They're filled with grief. The disciples are gutted. Remember Peter and Andrew were his John the Baptist disciples? This is Jesus' cousin that we're talking about. And so I, I want us not to miss this. Injustice had to be reeling inside of them, the injustice of what just occurred to John, Okay, Here's a man who had lived such a profoundly simple life, calling men and women to the God of the scriptures, and he's beheaded as a result of the indulgence and lust of those in power. That's what happened. Now let me say this, it needs to be said clearly especially in this hour. If Jesus' passion was that his followers simply stand up for their rights and push back against those in power, oddly enough, Jesus doesn't come and have a rally and and say, guess what, if they're going to come after you. Jesus goes and he's in grief. His cousin has been killed for telling the truth. And and yet I I wonder about his disciples as they're watching Jesus and he's not saying anything. And in those moments of solitude, if they're wondering, is that what my future is going to be like? And they can't stay there long enough before the people press in, and people who are not aware but are consumed with their own lack and ignoring the needs of Jesus, who's obviously grieving. I think it's remarkable. The disciples are filled with speechless grief and maybe even a little fear because they're getting this familiar feeling again. Are we alone? And then Jesus turns to them and says, you feed them. We have nothing, Jesus. Five loaves, two fish. The, the, the second word that jumped out at me in looking at this text is that word compassion. And I really appreciate the way the Passion Translation words this, but Jesus in the midst of his grieving He sees and he is moved by what is present in him, compassion. So I want to point something out really clearly. It is not because he is not tired. He is. It isn't because he's not grieving. He is grieving. But that he knew that he was not alone in his grief and his fatigue. He's leaned into the Father. What's present in the Father? Compassion, the measureless loving kindness of the Father, according to the prophets. So Jesus reveals that grief and injustice, even fatigue, doesn't mean that he's alone. Or said another way, let me say it this way, grief and disorientation doesn't change the compassionate heart of the Father towards us. That's actually a word of good news. So as the day continues, people are pressing in. Um, Jesus is healing the sick, but it seems out of control. This is more than just people, you know, your friends dropping in without announcing it and they're in a secluded place the sun is setting the disciples feel vulnerable they've got no means they become very aware that they don't have anything the only thing they can see is their own emptiness nothingness and lack and they're like where are we going to go to get all the food to feed these people and curiously they don't even they don't hear the question but they answer it with what is consuming their mind and their heart I've got nothing. Jesus is going to take 200 denarii. That's what they, that John records about this in this exchange, John 6. It's going to take a half a year's wages to feed this crowd. Jesus says, you feed them. Now, these guys are they're formerly fishermen. Now they're Talmudim following their rabbinic teacher. And so Jesus knows they haven't got two coins hardly to rub together. I want, to, I want to say something about this. Jesus is actually very kind in the face of doubt and disorientation. Not, he's not trying to be harsh on them, but he's inviting them to live from a very different place. What he's saying is when you feel and you recognize you've got nothing and you look around and there's empty, there's another place for you to live from. Bring what, that nothing to me. Why is that? Because he is connected not to the place of demand and pressure that, of the world system that, that's seen around them. He's settled in the abundance of the heart of the compassionate heart of the Father. That's where Jesus' heart is settled. And he's saying, guys, I, I want to show you something. You can live from this place. How do I know that? Well, verse 19 says that he looks to heaven and he blessed the bread and he broke it. Now, Fascinatingly, we have built a a practice um, that we see often practiced around our dinner tables that at times communicates to our head and to our heart something that Jesus wasn't communicating. And that was that he blessed the bread. In other words, before that, it was a mess. Then Jesus made it better. So, I'm going to I want to point to two things. One is the word bread isn't even in the original text. So my point is Jesus isn't blessing the bread. Deuteronomy 8:6, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you will bless the Lord your God for the land that he's given to you. He's not blessing the food. He's speaking blessing to the Lord for provision. There's a very big difference. You you, are you following what I'm saying? I I, I remember uh, a time in my journey where we were sitting down together with a group of friends who and, and my folks said we wanna give we, we wanna have pray a prayer blessing and these friends said, Well we just we just bless the food by the sackful when it comes in, that way it's all covered. It's like, Well, wait a minute, isn't that sort of missing the point? As if somehow you're sanctifying the food as it came in the door so you believe it's not good or blessed and you're going to bless it so that you can partake of it, you're missing the point. We're blessing the Lord. We're thanking the Lord for what he has given. So some even think that Jesus was sort of doing an incantation over the food and multiplying it. The historic and biblically accurate picture is that Jesus isn't even looking at the food. He's blessing the Lord of abundance who can't help but be who he is. So what happens when you're convinced that you're, uh, you know, what happens when you're convinced of your own emptiness and what you're looking at? God can multiply uh, what you see or or we're going to thank God for who he is. So I'm sitting and staring at this, or am I looking at the Father? And what we see in the word of in, in Jesus is that he's looking to the Father. By the way, Jewish tradition even backs up what I'm saying to you right now. They never bless the food. They say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth food, bread, from the earth. That's what Jesus is doing. So... He's moved with compassion, but his attention is toward the compassionate heart of the Father. That's what he's captured by. Lord, I bless you for who you are. And in that place, then the next word that jumps at me is the word satisfied. They ate and they were satisfied. That doesn't mean this that their bellies are full. It means there was enough. Oh, wait a second. That's more than just more than just the fact that they had enough to eat in that moment, it was a revelation of what happens when heaven meets the earth. It reveals the God of Eden is hanging out with us and there's enough. That the God who came to restore man to enough is enough and we've looked to him, and there's enough mercy and grace and forgiveness that the goodness of his house becomes visible. This is more than just bread. Amen? So what happens when compassion meets empty? We, 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 when we surrender it to him and we say, blessed are you, oh, Lord God of the universe. You're filled with compassion. Lord, I trust you. Suddenly, there is this place of enough. Because it's enough in him. We're satisfied. So what does that mean for all of our nothing places, our empty vaults? I've said this before in other places and at other times, but I want to repeat it again. Beloved, the limits and the darkness that you see around you are not the final word. Oh, but that we would turn our gaze See, this is part of why I've been sharing with you why this practice of prayer in my life, I'm finding it to be almost like a, you know, times when you have a piece of digital equipment that doesn't work right and you just need to reboot it, right, restart it so it can go, oh, that's how I'm supposed to operate. <laughs> I don't understand that. But I believe there's something that comes when I when I. Push the reset and like, oh God, you are good. This is who you are. And I'm gazing upon you. The limits and the darkness that press in around me, the emptiness that I feel when I'm looking at I'm saying, I don't have enough. I have nothing. I've just got this little bit. It doesn't get the final word. By the way, curiously, some who thought that would be the end of Geraldo's career, it was actually the launch. So let me, let me come back to these three words. Nothing. My empty is not the point. What I do with empty makes all the difference. Amen? Okay. Number two, encountering compassion and surrendering to compassion is the point. You know... Um, It's interesting that Paul writes this in Ephesians 4.32, be kind toward one another, compassionate, forgiving, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's actually a posture, a choice to live from. God, this is who you, oh, yes, that's how you've invited me to live, that I'm not limiting what I can do, how compassionate, generous, kind, forgiving I can be based on what I think I have or I might lose. Oh, dear, I can't be generous. I might lose. No, no, no. I'm living from the abundant, compassionate heart of God. Came across this quote. I'll share it with you. I'm not sure if it connects, but I, th- I think it does connect. Um, oh, I should have wrote down who-, who first quoted this. But we're most like a beast when we kill. We're most like men when we judge. But we're most like God when we forgive. And I want to say we're most like God when we live in compassion. Okay we're most like a beast when we kill, we're most like men when we judge, we're most like God. Now, he he said when we forgive, I want to say when we live from compassion and forgiveness. That's how Paul wrote it. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving, just as God in Christ forgave you. So, Jesus is in this place, and he's moved with compassion, not fearing that as he gives to others, he's not going to have enough for his own grief because he's trusting the compassionate heart of the Father. Amen? Right? And and, and even as it manifests in their their material need, when compassion, when we truly encounter the compassionate heart of the Father. See, the third word, compassion, reveals the hope of of the gospel, our hearts are satisfied in the reality that his love, his compassionate love, is enough in every circumstance. So, beloved, empty is not a hindrance to what is present in the heart of God. Compassion. Compassion that reveals the satisfaction of his love that is enough are empty has nothing on the measureless, compassionate love of God, and that's good news. Amen? Amen. Beloved, I want to close this message this morning with a a prayer, and I want to invite you to pray that with me. Those of you on the call, if you want to pray that with us, and we're going to get ready to share in communion together. And so let's pray this prayer together, and then I want to lead us in confession, Uh, the confession of our sins, and then as well as confession of our faith together, and then we'll come to the table. Would you all stand with me? Let's pray this prayer together. God, beyond all seeing and knowing, we meet you in the night of change and crisis, and wrestle with you in the doubt or the darkness of doubt. Your generosity floods the world with goodness, and you shower creation with abundance. Awaken in us a hunger for food to satisfy both body and heart, that in the miracle of being fed, we may be empowered to feed the hungry in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Lord God, we confess before you We have sinned. We've sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbor as ourself. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. And ask for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would forgive us and cleanse us. That we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and to the honor of your name. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, maker of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. Amen and amen.